Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sticking by us no matter what walk we are in in life. Thank you for turning our graves into gardens. Be with us today. Be with Alice as he speaks your word. Open us up to receive from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't judge other people. If you do, you will be judged. And the standard you use to judge other people is the same standard that will be used to measure you. If you see a speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye, before you run over there to get it, first take the log out of your own eye. Um, you hypocrite, don't you realize you can't help someone else until you first deal with your own problems? Don't toss what is valuable to pigs. They will trample it in the mud. Don't give something sacred to dogs. They will shred it. And if you're not careful, they will turn and tear you to pieces. This is Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And do you ever feel personally attacked by a teaching of Jesus? Like you read something in the Bible and you're like, wow, Jesus was watching me this week and then he wrote this about me, you know? You ever feel like that? Just me? Okay, I feel like that occasionally. Uh, when I read this passage, it feels very much like Jesus has been, you know, keeping an eye on me. And he's like, hey, Alex, this teaching's for you. I'm an extremely judgmental person. I am highly critical. Um, the other day, yesterday, Darby was at the craft store, and Hagrid and I stood, stayed in this craft store for as long as we could until we were literally going insane. And so we went outside and we walked around the building a couple times, and then we were still going insane waiting. And so we got back in the car, I gave him some water, and while I was sitting there, the most unusual people walk into this craft store. I mean, I'm in the, in the car practicing my sermon on not judging people, and just unusual people are just walking into this craft store. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? All I can see is the flaws and the failures. Um, my personality type on the Myers-Briggs is an INTJ. That stands for introverted, intuitive, thinking, and what's the J for? Judging. Judgment. Yeah, it's in my personality. I naturally see what is wrong. I can always spot what's broken. I can see all the ways that someone doesn't measure up, especially myself. And um, this teaching feels like Jesus is getting a little personal with me. But Jesus says his followers should not be judgmental. Religion makes you self-righteous. It makes you feel like I'm better than other people because I do these things. But being an apprentice of how Jesus lived and loved should make us non-judgmental people. And yet, if you ask the average American to describe churches or Christians, what word do you think they would use to describe them? Judgmental. Yes, overwhelmingly, as people have done surveys, the number one question when someone outside of the church is asked to describe the church or Christians, they say judgmental. Now, some of you at this point are like, I'm so glad Alex is teaching this because he is judgmental and he needs to hear this message. And I'm so glad that God's like finally speaking to them. Or maybe you're like, I'm so glad somebody else is hearing this because they're so judgmental and they need to hear this. So let me just stop you right here. All of us need to hear this. Not just some of us. Don't assume that you're not judgmental. One of the telltale factors of judging others is a sense of self-righteousness. In other words, assuming that you're good and you don't have a problem. So if you assume you're good and you don't have a problem here, you probably do. A spirit of being judgmental hides behind a mask of spiritual behavior and language. And sometimes it's so good we can even fool ourselves. Andy Stanley uh, puts it like this, Christians are America's best cover-up artists. 
We're really good at like looking nice when we need to and hiding a lot of the things that are under the surface. Today, talking about becoming non-judgmental people, this is something that's gonna get down in the roots of us. It's gonna get down way under our self-righteous mask that we put on, and it's gonna make us a little bit uncomfortable. But you know what? That's key to becoming like Jesus, better people, people who live and love like him. Barna, a research organization, did a survey of thousands of Christians in America to see if they actually were as judgmental as most people assumed. They identified being judgmental or non-judgmental as a combination of actions and attitudes. Now, first of all, these are the actions and attitudes, the traits of Jesus that they saw in a non-judgmental person. I think we have them up here. They said Jesus had these actions. I listened to others and learned their story before telling them about my faith. I have influenced multiple people to consider following Christ. I regularly choose to have meals with people with very different faith or morals from me. I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. I'm personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. Those are actions that they saw in Jesus' life in the Gospels and that they think are traits of non-judgmental people. And then attitudes of Jesus. I see God-given value in every person regardless of their past or present condition. I believe God is for everyone. I see God working in people's lives even when they are not following him. It's more important to help people know God is for them than to make sure that they know they are sinners. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. These are all attitudes we see in Jesus in the Gospels. And so they asked people, they got to self-report, do you do these things? Do you believe these things? Let's look next at the list of actions and attitudes that Barna identified as traits of a judgmental person. They said self-righteous actions were, I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles, that's between me and God. People don't need to know that I've got some stuff to work out. I try to avoid spending time with people who are LGBTQ+. I um, like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve pe people who attend my church rather than people outside of my church. And then they said self-righteous attitudes were, I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong thing. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. And finally, people who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. So this was the baseline. And they asked thousands of Christians to self-identify which one of these things were true in their life. How many percentage of the thousands that they interviewed of Christians do you think self-identified as embracing both the actions and attitudes of Jesus in America? Percentage. First slide. Yes, the first slide. The traits of Jesus being a non-judgmental person. How many people do you think self-identified? Nine? That's pretty close. Fourteen percent. A little bit better than we would thought. I thought very low, too. Um, 14% still isn't good. Yes. 14% of Christians identify with the traits of Jesus that are non-judgmental. 38% um, self-identified as rejecting Jesus' attitudes and actions and fully embracing everything on the self-righteous attitudes and actions chart. They didn't tell them in the survey, these are self-righteous things. They just said, pick which ones identify your Christianity best. 38%, so about 40%. Then 48%, the rest of everybody, had some mix of saying, I believe in Jesus' attitudes in the first group, 
but I actually practice self-righteous things in the second grade. All that to say, the odds are against us being non-judgmental people this morning. The odds are pretty good if only 14% of us are actually practicing the actions and attitudes of Jesus of being non-judgmental on the first slide. It's probably a pretty good chance that you and I have some self-righteous, judgmental attitudes and actions that come up in our daily behaviors, in our relationships, in our workplaces, and in our family, and in our neighborhoods. And really, because of the nature of sin, and the nature of this sin, we are often blind to it. There are some sins that make you blind, so you can't see how bad off you really are, and self-righteousness is one of them. It's one of the ones where, as you get worse, you think you're actually better. Dallas Willard said this, Judging others is a deeply rooted human practice because we believe that condemnation is appropriate at times. We have great confidence in the power of condemnation to straighten others out. And if that fails, should we not at least make it clear that we're on the side of the right and they're clearly in the wrong? I think Jesus would respond, no. Condemnation doesn't work and you don't need to tell people I'm right and you're wrong. Judgment and condemnation doesn't change anyone's heart or mind. It might force some sort of uh, short change, short-term effect in someone's behavior, but it doesn't cure the problems at the root of their soul. Downvoting someone's toxic take on social media might get their account banned, but it doesn't fix the root issue in their heart. They actually don't change. They just go to a new social media platform and say the same thing. Judgment and condemnation used to be tools exclusively wielded in the extreme religious camps. Um, Darby went away after uh, college to a, um, a center, oh, before college, after high school, she went away to this um, religious center to learn Spanish in Argentina. And she got down there and she's like, this is a cult, you know, but it wasn't quite a cult, but it was extreme Christianity. I mean, she had spiritual life points and if she did something wrong, they were like, Jesus loves you a little bit less. You have less spiritual life points. And Darby was like, what the heck is this? You know, um, I used to attend growing up. I attended some fundamentalist churches. And these churches had a bunch of rules and regulations to police people's morality. You could only listen to a certain type of music. You couldn't go to see movies. There's bad things in those movies. M women had to wear skirts. Men had to have short hair. They had to shave their faces and not have mustaches or big bushy beards. Maybe that's why I'm so obsessed with having facial hair now. I don't know. It's my, it's my rebellion. Um, there used to be a lot of shame in order to produce conformity to a unrealistic, moralistic standard. It was oppressive. It didn't change people's hearts. And Darby's talked about most of the people who went to Argentina with her are now atheists. They believe nothing. Because the Christianity that they saw did not actually make them more like Christ. It actually pushed them farther away from Christ. Some of the young people, my peers who grew up in that same fundamentalist church I did, it was such a pressure cooker that they reached a certain age and they exploded into dangerous life choices with drugs and alcohol and sex. A few even got into crime. And as a result, they have no faith to speak of now. For the most part, culture, for most of my life, has frowned on this practice. Like, culture preached, like, be free. Don't have roles. Don't conform. Be weird. Be different. And, um, but I've noticed something over the last 10 years. There's been a shift 
an interesting thing has happened because, yes, that used to be purely in the most extreme cases of religion. And we still have religious fundamentalists policing other Christians by their own impossible standards. But now culture has embraced the same flawed self-righteous practice of judgment and condemnation that used to be unique to the most extreme parts of religion. Um, today, if you don't embrace the moralistic standard of the religious fundamentals, fundamentalists, they will call you heathens or pagans or they'll say, you're going to hell. Maybe you've had those things called at you. But if you don't embrace the moralistic standard of the culture and the fundamentalists of culture, they will call you racists or bigots or uneducated fools. Both the American church and American culture have doubled down on judgment and condemnation with the hope that it will produce change with the hope that it will produce conformity, with the hope that condemnation will produce the America that they want, the America of their dreams. I mean, today in culture, right, cancel culture can be boiled down to a simple principle. If you step out of line, you will pay a price. So stay in line, don't rock the boat, don't ask too many questions. Now, there are some people who are canceled because they do terrible things, and they should have been canceled a long time ago because it's a consequence of their own bad behavior. But more often than not, someone is canceled because they didn't fall in line. And in fundamentalism, you are either all in or you are an enemy. And for a long time, that's how religion operated, but now it's very much how our culture operates as well. You agree with me on everything or you are my enemy. There's no room for nuance or discussion or conversation. And Jesus comes along and with a very simple story, he disarms all of us. Because Jesus doesn't add a new series of rules and threaten us that if we don't keep his new rules, we are going to uh, be punished or outcast, we're going to be condemned. He dismantles what we think about judgment and what we think it's going to do in the first place. He says, first of all, we hold others to a higher standard than we can keep ourselves. Remember, that's what he said at the first thing. He says, don't judge other people or you will be judged. The standard you use to judge others is the standard that will be used to judge you. We often make excuses for our mistakes. Do you ever do anything and you're like, yeah, but I was really tired. I was like so tired and that's why I did it. But then when Darby does it, I'm like, what's her problem? Get with the program. Even though I know she didn't sleep last night, she's tired. But for me, I make excuses. For her, I demand results, right? That's not good for relationships. But don't we do that all the time? We often make excuses for our own mistakes because we know our hardships, we know our weaknesses, we know our sacrifices, we know our tears, and we assume everyone else has it easier. But many people actually have a life much harder than you do. They have lost much more than you. They are striving and fighting to keep their head above water even more than you are. Plato said, assume everyone is fighting a hard battle. Be kind. Assume everyone is fighting a hard battle. Everyone you come across, that cashier that you're like, what is her problem? You don't know, but she has a problem. You don't get to see it. Show some grace. When you see somebody, you're like, what are they wearing? Show some grace. You don't know what kind of hard battle they're fighting. When somebody behaves poorly and you go, what is going on there? How immature, how childish. Give some grace. You don't know what kind of hard battle they're fighting. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You only know the inner workings of your battle. So we often excuse our behavior 
show that same grace to others. Instead of commenting on their behavior or appearance or actions, consider that they might be carrying a heavy burden that you cannot see. Consider that they might be dealing with loss and grief that you know nothing about that may actually be many times bigger than your own loss and grief and burdens. And Jesus goes on by explaining that the flaw we see in someone else is nothing next to the flaw in us. I think I have a cartoon up here. Now, I don't think we always get the absurdity of what Jesus is saying here. We're literally going up to someone and saying, you have some dust in your eye. And we have a whole log in our eye. We have a huge beam in our eye. It's ridiculous, right? That's a ridiculous concept. Anytime you tried to get the sawdust out of their eye, you would beat them with the beam. You would not be helpful. In fact, they would probably end up with a concussion rather than actually a clean eye. Jesus explains that the flaw we see in other people is nothing next to the flaws in the heart at the root of us. The log, according to Dallas Willard, is not some other random sins in our life, but is judging others itself. See, we see the flaw in other people, and Jesus says, yeah, but that judgment that you are seeing is actually a giant beam that's bigger than the issue in their life. Jesus wants to get the judgment out of your eye even more than the small and almost insignificant spot in someone else's eye. In other words, Jesus is saying, judging others is worse than the sexual sin that we condemn in someone else, the drinking issue we condemn in someone else, the addiction we condemn in someone else, the lifestyle we condemn in somebody else, the taboo sins that make us judge others are small according to Jesus, but judging others is a big sin according to Jesus. Man, I don't like that. Because I struggle with judging a lot, and some of these other things that are a little sawdust in my eye, I've kind of like rooted out. But I have this huge beam, and according to Jesus, this is a speck of sawdust, and this is a huge, giant beam in my eye. This is why Jesus ate with tax collectors and sex workers, and not Pharisees. The self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees were actually bigger sinners, but they thought they were better because they couldn't see their sin as well as they could see the sins of others. And some of us are like that too. We're so good at seeing the sins in our culture and the sins in our community and family, the sins in other people, and we're missing the giant sin of judgment in our eyes. And I think Jesus realizes we want ultimately to help. Notice what he says. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you can help your neighbor. I mean, many of us, we want to help people. We after all, recognize that any sin, big or small, robs people of joy, and we want to tell people about their destructive behaviors. We want to tell them, like, that lifestyle will not bring you joy. Doing that will not bring you joy. But Jesus warns we can't help people as long as we have a log of judgment in our eyes. Every time we try to help people and we approach them with judgment, we will hurt them rather than help them. Christians, if you come to help non-Christians with judgment in your eyes, it will destroy instead of heal. You will push people towards hell instead of pulling them towards heaven. You cannot reach someone you despise. We have too many Christians who look at people far from God, not with mercy, but with disdain, with disgust. Is it any wonder when the world rejects our message of Jesus, when they can sense the loathing in our voice instead of love? So, does this mean we do nothing? We're just like, everybody's good, don't worry about the sawdust, it's all going to turn out okay. No. 
We don't simply let people march towards the inevitable ruin of destructive behaviors, but we recognize that judgment won't help them change direction. See, we still, like Dallas Willard said, believe that condemnation will produce change, and it never does. Shame may produce short-term change, but only grace produces lasting change. And what I have found is when you shame people, they will go and sink deeper into their sin than ever before. Because guilt and shame don't produce change, it produces hopelessness and defeat and sin eats you alive. A lot of people quote John 3.16. It's a great verse. I like John 3.17 even better. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Sometimes when I write a message, or I'm thinking about someone, or I'm praying about something, and I'm like, God did not condemn me. God does not condemn them. He saves. He rescues. He's not a condemner. He's not a crusher. He's a rescuer. God didn't think condemning the world would change the world. Only loving the world could change the world. Encounters with a loving community of people changes the direction of people. One of the most effective programs in the world for overcoming addiction is AA. Every Sunday, our parking lot fills with people who go over here to AA across the street. It follows a simple model, a gathering of loving, understanding community of people encouraging you to move from where you are to where you should be. What if churches were like that? Churches should be more like AA. But a lot of the churches that I grew up in, unfortunately, spent more time making me feel bad about where I was so that I would fake how, how I really am in order to fit in. And sometimes knowing that you are loved and accepted, no matter how messed up or broken you are, is exactly the stimulus you need to change. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was restoring the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us this same message of restoration. We should not judge because God has not judged us. The more self-righteous someone is, the more they have forgotten that none of us earn God's favor. Jesus wasn't like, man, you've been doing a lot of good, so I'll die for you, right? He died for us while we were yet sinners. We are all equally in need of the cross. He didn't hold our sins against us, and he has now given us the same message, to take the good news of Jesus to all people, not holding their sins against them to restore them to God. Now, finally, Jesus wraps up this talk about judgment with the natural conclusion by talking about a dog and a pig, you know? I love the examples that Jesus uses, first century, real world, agrarian culture, examples that they would have known of, a dog and a pig. Now, one context that you need, he was talking to Jewish people here, they did not have pigs because pigs were unclean animals. It was a pagan animal. So that, uh, that colors the story a little bit. But he wraps up by talking about a dog and a pig. And he, essentially what he says is, you wouldn't give your birth certificate or your diploma to a dog and here's why. Go ahead and hit that video. This is my dog, Hagrid. I looked away for a second. He got a Diet Coke box, and now there are Diet Coke cardboard pieces all over the house. Because that's Hagrid. If he finds something, he's like, I will shred that. If you gave my uh, college diploma, my seminary diploma to my dog, he would not say, oh, this is important to dad. I will not shred this. He would shred it like crazy. And as soon as I said, don't shred it, he would shred it faster. Dogs can't read. They don't know how important it is. They will tear things to shred. Now, is it because my dog is evil? 
Mm, oh, no. Okay. There's some days, right? He's not evil. It's simply because he doesn't have the comprehension to understand the value. Then Jesus goes on to say, you wouldn't give money or jewels to a pig? Why? Because pigs play in the mud. You're going to lose that. It's going to get dirty. If you give them anything, it's going to get dirty. If you reach for the diploma or you dig in the mud for the money that you threw to the pigs, the animals might actually turn and attack you. And you say, okay, why, why even say all this, Jesus? Why is this at the end of a session on judgment? Because sometimes we try to share things with people that they're not ready to hear. Sometimes we try to give people something valuable and meaningful and beautiful and true, and they're not ready to hear it. And sometimes they tear it up, and sometimes they bury it in the mud. Sometimes they even turn and attack us. And Jesus warns us, be careful not to approach people with judgment, but also be wise about when you approach people with truth. People aren't always ready to hear what they need to hear. And sometimes Christians have pushed people farther away from Jesus because they have brought things that are true, but they've brought them at the wrong time or in the wrong way. They've either brought them with judgment or they brought them to people who can't yet understand them, and it's actually confused them. Um, there was a marriage book I read that had a great line in it that really stuck with me. The key to a good marriage is knowing when it is the right time to have a hard conversation. At the end of a long work day when someone's exhausted or hasn't slept all night, not a good time to have a hard conversation. Right? When I'm really hungry, Darby knows it's not a good time to have a conversation. Because until I eat, I am just going to be miserable. I'm not going to be able to make good decisions. I'm not going to be able to use kind words. Feed me, and then all of a sudden I'm a human again. Um, not every moment is the right moment. The Spirit of God is working on the hearts and minds of our friends and family. Our job is to love them and be ready with the good news of Jesus when they begin asking spiritual questions. But sometimes we bring judgment and we push them away from Jesus. And sometimes we eagerly bring truth that they're not ready for because our love has not yet built a bridge for the truth to walk across. And we end up pushing them away from Jesus. We need to lead with love and we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Long after people forget what we say, they will remember how we made them feel. Let's repent. Let's together say, Jesus, I am sorry I have been judgmental and self-righteous. Sometimes I have pushed people farther away from you instead of towards you. Let's repent and practice the attitudes and actions of Jesus together. And so I just want to end by reading through these actions again. I want this to be like our call this week, this month, this year, to live and love like Jesus, to take his actions and attitudes Let's listen to others to learn their story before telling them about our faith. Let's regularly choose to have meals with people with different faith or morals from me. Let's try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to us. Let's spend time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. Let's see God-given value in every person regardless of their past or present condition. Let's believe God is for everyone. Let's see and look for God working in people's lives even when they are not following him. Um, let's make it more important to help people know God and help, know, help people know that God is for them than to make sure that they know they are sinners. Let's make it more important to let them know that God is for them and loves them and wants to save them. And finally, let's feel compassion for people who are not following God and are doing immoral things instead of feeling disgust. I have a clip from The Simpsons.
right. I would just describe it to you then. Um, so anyways, Lisa Simpson says, Did not the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? And then Chief Wiggum says, the Bible says a lot of things. Throw her over the cliff. And then the pastor stands up and said, we did the Lord's work. Sometimes we judge people, we approach people with judgment, and we feel like we're doing the Lord's work by sticking up for what's true. The Lord's work is to not hold people's sins against them and restore people to a relationship with him. The Bible does say a lot of things, and it'll be easy for us to ignore what it says about judgment and focus on something else. But until we get serious about becoming agents of love, instead of judges dealing out condemnation, the sinners who are drawn to Jesus will continue to be repulsed by us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this message. It's a hard message. I don't like it. I would have just preferred that you just left this out of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, God, I am so judgmental, and I pray that you'll forgive me. Help me to move in a new direction. Help me to practice these actions and attitudes that you practice, actions and attitudes of a non-judgmental person, a person who is an agent of love and a person of faith. God, will you help us? Show us, reveal just a glimpse of how judgmental we've been so that we can be serious about changing. God, I believe that until the church becomes agents of love, instead of uh, believing that condemnation and judgment has changed people, people will continue to walk away from the church. The, the community, the city, the world will continue to say, that message is no good to me. Help us to lead with love instead of judgment. Help us to listen to people, to lead with love, and listen for the Holy Spirit about when we should speak. And I pray these things in the name of